Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Well, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here. Uh, I want to start you off with a question. Does anyone have one of these in their house? A junk drawer? of junk, right? Like you throw the pens, you throw the pencils, the instructions, that thing you found on the ground that you have no idea what it's for, but you just put it in there, put it somewhere, that trinket someone gave you, that extra screw, maybe your kid's artwork that you have no idea where you're going to put, your passport, okay, hopefully not that, um, but it's full of junk, right? It's full of stuff. And in today's society, our word for love is kind of like this. We say we love tacos, we love pizza, we love our mom, we love our spouses, we love that coffee, that restaurant, that place, that shirt, that new TV series. We say love like it's this catch-all word. And is that what love really is, right? The artist Hathaway, like a couple years ago, many years ago, had the question, what is love, right? You've heard the song? What is love? Baby, don't hurt. But he follows up with, baby, don't hurt me, right? And then the Beatles, they sang the song, All You Need Is Love, right? All you need is love. All you need is love. They sang it, but correct me if I'm wrong, they needed something more or didn't understand love fully as they broke up, right? So what is love, right? What is love? The Bible says things like God is love, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. But even still, what does that even mean, right? God is love? What? God loved the world by sending his son? Why is that love? These songs and our use of the word love, it tells us it's this desirable thing. But how is God, how is your love for tacos, your mom or your spouse the same? And how is that all like combine into the same word or is it even the same and if hurt can come from it is it even worth it if you haven't picked up on it yet we're talking about love this week uh as we're in the last week of advent the traditional christian church calendar and we've been covering hope peace joy and now love and as i've said every week you might be like who cares who cares like I, i'm not like super religious why does this calendar matter to me if that's you, I get you. I'd be kind of in the same boat. But what we've been doing is we've been spending the four weeks here at church leading up to Christmas, celebrating or reflecting on the real meaning and purpose of Advent, which it's meant to slow you down. That's the purpose of Advent, to slow you down and make you reflect on what Christmas is all about. It's traditional, but we're making it relevant and real to you today. And in this series, what we did was we learned that Advent means the arrival or the coming of something. It's a tradition to think about Jesus' first arrival here on earth, Christmas, right? And all the things people of his time were feeling and waiting for him to come. But then it also addresses for us today, Advent is a time where we today look forward to a promise of Jesus to come to make things right forever. Again, he's coming again to make things perfect for us. We can get glimpses of this in scripture. It says this in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And again, today's theme is love. If you've been coming here for a while, 
a few weeks ago, we actually talked about being loving uh, and how a Christian should decide ahead of time to be loving because it's something God desires from us. And in that message, what we did is we covered uh, that we saw that people should see all people as potential children of God. We should choose risk over safety and we should also verbalize love. That's what we covered in that message. And you might be thinking, I sat through that message and it was 30 minutes. You just gave it to me in 30 seconds. Sorry, I guess you're getting a double sermon today. So you got that short little one, and now you're getting the one today. But today what I want to do is I want to take us to a deeper understanding of love. I want to help you see how God actually is love. Like, how is his being love? How is his coming to earth love? How is his presence, his grace and truth? How are those love? And that love he gives us, it deserves a natural response from us. A response this Christmas season and also a response for your life furthermore. But a response of what is a lot of times our question. Have you ever wondered, what does God actually want from you to do in response to him on Christmas? Like, okay, I get it. A baby, like, came on Christmas, but then what? Like, I'm supposed to do the goo-goo-ga-ga face to it? Like, uh, I'm supposed to picture Jesus as a baby all the time on Christmas? Like, is that what I'm supposed to do on Christmas? Or am I supposed to be the crazy Christmas person that, like, listens to the Christmas music before November? I'm calling you out right now if that's you. Um, or, or wear, like, something like this, like a crazy Christmas sweatshirt? Like, is that what I'm supposed to do to celebrate Jesus' birthday? Like, is that how I'm supposed to respond to love of Jesus on Christmas? What does God actually want from me in response to his presence and his arrival on earth on Christmas? And then also in response to his love for us furthermore. Have you ever thought about this before? Like how do you actually give that love back or wondered this? Do you have your answer? If not, we're going to look to the Bible and help us find one today. Uh, But before we do so, I want to give you one more question today. And the question is, Have you ever been nervous about rejection? Rejection. Who's been nervous about rejection before? Like, hates rejection. All right. If you're human, you have, right? If you're human, you have. Of course you have. Most of us do. Most of us do whatever it takes to avoid rejection, right? For me, it clearly started in middle school, at middle school dances. Anybody go to a dance in middle school? All right, y'all need to get out more, okay? Um, in, in middle school, the dances, like, you'd go and it'd be like this party, you're having fun. And then, like, what you do is, again, avoiding rejection, you'd send your friend over to ask the girl that you wanted to dance with, like, hey, Aaron wants to dance with you, would you be up for it? And, like, of course I'm watching. And then he gives you the, yeah, come. She said yes, you know, right? They'll give you the wave, and all of a sudden you're dancing, and you're dancing probably like this. Like, lots of distance, right? Lots of distance between you and that other person. Uh, and then after the song's done, they disappear. They're gone. You're, you're like, I don't even want to be, I don't want to have a conversation. No. You just, you leave. Maybe that was the 90s or the two, early 2000s. Or maybe that was just me. But that's what I did to avoid rejection. I didn't want to get rejected. Uh, but then as I aged, I also re- dreaded rejection in tryouts, in applications, in interviews or proposals or tests. I never wanted to get rejected. So I did everything I could to avoid the dreaded no or you're denied or we're thinking about someone else. I didn't want to give people the opportunity to say no to me. So I avoided it. I avoided it on all costs. Even in my, 
even in my proposal to my wife, Sydney, I had a pretty good idea she's going to say yes. Like, I had a really good idea she's going to say yes, but there's still a chance for rejection. I was nervous about this, and I'm pretty sure, like, I kind of cheated in a sense of finding out if she's going to say yes. Like, I, like, literally monthly, weekly, maybe daily, I said, hey, so if I would put the propose at some point, you'd say yes, right? Like, maybe, probably, you'd probably say yes. Like, if I, if I was to propose at some point, you'd probably say yes, right? And she'd say Yes, and so I, I, it made it clearer for me. It made it easier for me. I hate rejection, and I'm guessing you do too. Most of us, we avoid it if we can because it can be diminishing. It can be defeating, and it can also just be this humbling position that we don't want to be in. The reason I bring this up is the first Christmas is a time where we see God risking the chance of rejection from us. In the form of a human. It's an opportunity for him to experience a face-to-face rejection from his creation. Because true love, it has risk, it has choice, it has freedom. God the creator gave us that. And not only that, he came to live with us while he knew that we were nasty people. He knew we were crummy people and we did morally corrupt things, flawed things, yet he still chose to come. God choosing to live with us is like you choosing to like be like, oh, I see a fussy baby in the room. I'm going to go sit next to that baby, right? Like you would never choose to do that. Yet that's what God is doing. Like I know things are going to get nastier. Things are going to get louder, not uncomfortable. Yet he still comes. If we're like a baby, needless to say, we're not the most amazing people to live with and dwell with, right? It was a sacrifice of God to come. And Christmas is God risking the chance of rejection to be with us, to teach us, to save us from the consequences of our wrongs. And to make it even harder for him to come and live with us, he's leaving perfection. He comes from perfect. 1 John 4.16 says this, God is love. It's kind of what the whole passage is kind of about, but God is love is what that verse implies, which means Jesus is love. But what does that really even mean? right? Because what is love, right? What is it even? If we look at the basic definition of love, it says this, like it's an intense feeling of deep affection, of great interest or pleasure into something. But like, how is God that? How is God love? How do you become the essence of love? How can you be love without another person or thing? So to fully understand how God is love, we need to understand what in the church world is called the Trinity. The Trinity is a word that you won't find in the Bible anywhere. If you look it up, you're not going to find it anywhere. But what it is, is it's doctrine. It's simply something of the Christian faith that we can make a conclusion on based on the teachings of the Bible and what Jesus spoke about. For example, Jesus, he said to his disciples when he's sending them out, he says in Matthew 28, 19, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible, it teaches there's only one God. But there are three parts to God, is what it says. Three parts, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There isn't a perfect explanation to explain this or so that you totally have an understanding of it because it doesn't exist in our naked eye how how one can be three. But there's some examples people use or some analogies people try to do. I'll, I'll share a few of them with you, but they always have flaws. Here's the first one. Like Some will say God's like H2O. He's liquid, water vapor, and ice. Yet when H2O changes form, 
it completely switches form. God does not switch modes ever. Liquid becomes a solid or it becomes water vapor. But God the Father never becomes God the Spirit or God the Son. Another example people would maybe use is to describe the Trinity is like God's like an egg. He's like an egg. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is like the egg white, the shell, and the yolk. But that fails as well because it shows that God would just be partial. He's just part of the whole thing. Yet God is fully whole. And that example fails as well. The best way to think about God is God is one. God is one who eternally exists in three persons. These three persons are equally God and all equally persons. Yet there is only one God. Again, it's mind-boggling. I get it. But the fact is that God is three in union together, working things out together in relationship. And because there is relationship of these three, and he's God, there's perfect love. God is love because he is in a perfect relationship with the heads of himself. If I'm getting trippy for you, I know it sounds trippy, right? Hang in there with me for just one more minute. What we do is we see that there's this metaphorical dance between these three partners, these three heads of God, that is closer than what you probably were with with your middle school dance partner. But we can see that they do this dance together to love, and they define it. In 1 John 4, 9 through 10, it says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God the union, right? The union of three. They chose to send and sacrifice God the son for us. That's pretty loving. And it shows love is sacrifice. Then it says in verse 13, it says, And then God has given us the Spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. God sends the Spirit to be with us. We see that love is presence. And once again, we also see God the Father. He's going through the action of sending and giving up the Son. This is doing what's best for others before yourself or love. This relationship between the three of them, these three persons, and the actions between them is love. It defines it, and it is love. Now, I get it. That's a lot. And I'm getting a little trippy maybe for you. But now if we back up and go to Christmas and the Advent theme of love for today, well, on Christmas, we get the first glimpses of God's presence seeing that three head, that three persons interact together. We get to see that love on earth happen. We get to see the dance. We get to see the love between them of giving up comfort. We get to see sacrifice. We get to see presence. We get to see correction. We get to see grace. We get to see saving action. We get to see the willingness to take a risk for another. We get to see rightful living. The willingness to pursue, rejection, pursue us in re- face of rejection. The first Christmas is a time where we get to see what love really is. And we can see it's more than just liking a person or a pleasurable taste, or smell, or drinking coffee, or a taco, or the feeling of comfort you get when you watch a Netflix show. Love is a relationship that does things, and it should move us to both experience this great sense of peace, joy, and hope, knowing that it is our God that desires a loving relationship with us, but also moves us to love others as well. And I think that movement that we can embrace and do for ourselves 
I think there's three specific things we can see the Trinity or God starts on Christmas and that we can make sure we model for others to share in that dance with the Trinity, to share in the midst of that and make sure that we are love and we are also being loving. The first thing that I think we can see amongst the Trinity that they start on Christmas and that we can embrace is love is presence. Love is presence. It says in Matthew 1.23, this is before Jesus is born, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God came to be with us on Christmas. He was present here, right? Do you think it was comfortable for him to come here? I don't think so. I don't think it was super desirable. Have you ever thought, like, I'm going to get so much done this weekend. Like, I got so many plans. Like, it's going to be amazing. Like, maybe kind of like this guy. All right. Productive work week. Well, it's be a productive weekender out here. I got some stuff to do. I got some stuff to do. And then all of a sudden, like, you maybe get out a little bit too late the night before. You're in bed and you're this, hey you're laying man, in bed we got that and you're like, here in about I ain't getting anything but, done this weekend. Uh, you know, right? I'm just staying in the comfort my of my bed for the rest of the day. Game. Yeah, I know. I totally get it. I think he says, yeah, I got to go to like my sister's kids thing. I got to go see my sister's kids program at church. Maybe that's what you were thinking. But comfort is hard to leave. When you understand what God is leaving, perfection and what God's walking into of, of agreeing to come here and, see, and sending his son here, you see it's a huge sacrifice. And that presence with us is a choice from God. It's a display of love. Do you ever choose presence as a way to love others? Do you ever choose that personally? Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's really hard. If we're to model the love of God, we are to put ourselves in situations that are just being present with others, even if it's a sacrifice on our end. For, for example, y'all have that family member that just irks you the wrong way. Do you give them presence at that family gathering of some sort of conversation? Or maybe that neighbor that you know is going to be alone at this time, do you allow them to be a part of your presence? Or maybe you have that person who, who needs you to take them in for the week. Do you give them presence? Maybe you have that person that you know at work is just hurting this time. Do you at least give them some presence, some time? Love is presence. It's being here. It's listening. It's sitting with someone. And it's showing them love. Love is incompatible with busyness and hurry, which is so counter to our culture, right? It's so counter to the Christmas time. Love is incompatible with busyness. We're so used to getting stuff done. Hurry, check things off our, our to-do list. I'm 100% guilty of this. I'm not calling anybody out besides myself. But I heard this quote recently. And the quote goes this way. It says, Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Wow. If that's true, just listening... You can be that loving, but in order to listen, you got to be present. you got to be present. And when you do, people feel loved. I mean, if we're honest, doesn't presence make you feel loved? Doesn't it make you feel loved? When someone maybe puts their phone away and listens to you well, doesn't that make you just feel more loved like when you're interacting with them? When someone does, like stops the hustle of the day to just be with you and sit with you, don't you feel loved? Or the time when someone didn't wedge you into their busy schedule, they're just like, 
yeah, I, I'm free. I want to be with you. Don't you feel loved in that situation? Again, I'm horrible at this, both presence and listening. I'm bad at both. But if I'm honest with you, big reason of it is, is I think I'm the world's greatest multitasker. I really do. I think I'm an amazing multitasker. I think I can do a lot of things all at once. Anybody there with me who thinks they're a really good multitasker? All right. Yeah, that's a guilty thing of, of me. I'm good at checking Facebook. I'm good at sending a quick Snapchat face or picture. I'm good at having music playing in the background. I'm good at listening to my wife while she's telling me about like her day. I'm really good at like having all my, like, my things done. Maybe I'm like buying something real quick. I'm doing all of those things at the exact same time. Challenge me. I could probably do more, actually. Give me some more if you want. Uh, I could do it. I think I I can multitask a lot of things all at once. I'm there. I hear things. I get it done. I check it off. But if I'm real, I'm partially there. I'm partially there. I'm not fully present. That's me. What about you? Do you give someone full presence? I personally love it when someone does that for me. For example, I know how addictive a phone can be to me. Like, I just, I know, it's addictive to me. And I know maybe other people have that same feeling. But when I see someone else put their phone away when they're talking to me or we're meeting, wow, I see that as a sacrifice. I'm like, wow, thank you. I see, I feel loved in that moment. I get others maybe don't feel this way about a phone or see that as necessary, but that, that's just me. But it's a way I am working on personally, too, for myself, of modeling Jesus' love of presence this Christmas. Less phone time when I'm with my family, trying to give them full presence, which on my end, I hope is love to them. I can't promise that I'm going to be putting my phone away in my room like all day long. Like, that's just, I, I don't think I could do that. But I think I could do a couple hours, and I think that would be a sacrifice, and I'm going to try there. I'm going to start there. Again, this is me and what I'm working on to be more love and to be present with love. What's it for you? Is it showing up? Is it having a real conversation with someone? Is it putting your phone away at a certain part of the day? Is it having the TV off in the background or, or not during, on during the mealtime? What's it for you? We see through Jesus' arrival, love is present. The next thing that we can see through Jesus' arrival that started on Christmas is we see that love is truth. Love is truth. Jesus showed up and taught us the truth that our lives will never be good enough for a perfect God. He taught us that. He showed us that. We will never be able to be a part of that divine dance between the persons of God on our own. We're just too messy. We mess up too many times, which is why he needed to come. I mean, you felt it, right? You feel it at times. Like, we just do too many bad things to people. We make bad decisions. We try so hard not to, but it's inevitable as we just mess up. We will never be like God on our own. And that's honest truth from God that Jesus showed us. It's why Jesus sent us on, or why, why Jesus sent himself on Christmas to start the motion of being this perfect sacrifice in place of our mistakes for us to make us right. We are only made right through Jesus. It doesn't matter how much we do or what we change or how much we fix. Our salvation and our right standing with God is on our acceptance of our need of Jesus' life in our place. That's why Jesus came here. But while Jesus was here on earth, he did all those things. He, he modeled that. He did that for us. He also still showed us what's truth. He taught us how to live. He taught us what's right and what's wrong. He taught us things so that we don't experience so much hurt. 
so much frustration. We don't lead others into pain or struggles. These were truth bombs that Jesus dropped on us while he was living here. And it was love through sharing truth. When Jesus was present with us, he showed us and taught us how to live right in God's eyes. This is going to maybe rub some of you the wrong way. But when he was doing this, Jesus wasn't a, you just do you type of person. That wasn't Jesus at all. Like, you just do what feels good to you, or you do what you want, or just do what's normal these days. That is not Jesus. Jesus was actually very counter to this. He taught truth, or he taught things that were what he saw as right in God's eyes. When Paul, a writer of the Bible, he's talking about love, he says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. If God is love, he's going to give you truth. And truth is loving. I mean, for an example... Think in our Wisconsin context. Like if someone moved here to Wisconsin and all of a sudden like they're walking around in blue and orange all the time and like they're rooting for this team from Illinois, you'd be like, stop. Why are you doing that? Look at the record. Like the Bears still aren't great. Packers aren't great right now either, but like you should probably stop rooting for them. Like just do yourself some, some good. The truth is Packers are better and just start wearing green and gold, not, not blue and orange. That could be a loving statement you maybe give to them. Again, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean to call out the Bears fans or anything like that, and, but maybe this one's for you. If, let's say, like this guy, he, this is a review on Amazon. He's like, there's a missing letter, yet he just hasn't rearranged it wrong. He has a missing letter, and he says this, absolutely got it. I've just sat up, blown up all the letters to find that the D is missing. Well, you have the D and the A, H-A-P-P, -P, all right? The D is missing, but has been replaced with an extra A. It's my, birth, or my daughter's birthday tomorrow, and now I won't be able to celebrate. Like, a loving thing would be like, I think you just messed up the letters, right? Like, that would be so loving. Like, now they can celebrate. Now it's great. You just need to move the A. And the D, right? That would be such a loving statement. Truth is loving, but sometimes truth isn't nice. And I, I did this little, little funny thing here for a second here because this next part's going to get a bit intense here. I wanted to make you laugh a little bit, but this next part gets a little intense. Truth is loving, but sometimes truth isn't nice. Sometimes we need to express a loving truth that is not nice to hear. I want to try and give you a clear example of this. In my role here as the lead pastor, I have to make a lot of decisions in this church. Uh, like Whether it's the teaching decisions or outreach or different ministries or how we run as an organization. I'm also trying to live honorable as a man, right? As a man, as a Christian, as a husband, as a parent, as a respectable community member, as someone who consumes things here in Fond du Lac, a Christian again. My goal is to be as honorable to God as possible and trying to just look to Scripture and, and do what I feel God is calling me towards. But I'm human. I'm like you. And it's possible for me to get off track, to miss the mark on things. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get off track. I don't. I don't want to get off track. And honestly, you shouldn't want me to get off track either. I don't want to lose sight of the mission that we're on for as a church, of helping people take their next step and reaching unchurched people. 
I don't want to lose sight of prioritizing my own relationship with God. I don't want to lose sight in prioritizing my marriage and having my marriage be strong. I don't want to lose my, my kids' relationship I have with them because I, I work too much. I don't want a scandal because my character hasn't been refined or, or all of a sudden I have like a flawed moral decision I made. I, I don't want those things to happen. I want to finish this life well. I want people to say, Aaron was a godly man. I really do. Don't you? Don't you want that even for me? Like, for yourself? You want to say that, right? You would want to say that about me too. Aaron's a godly man, yeah. With that, I need truth. I need guidance. First and foremost, from God, right? And I'm in pursuit of that. The Bible, church, trying to grow. But sometimes you can still miss with those things. So sometimes the most loving thing someone can do for another and for me, and that someone maybe for me is, is maybe another leader in the church, a close friend, a pastor, but one of the most loving things someone could do for me is say, Aaron, I think you're slipping. I think you're slipping in this area. Are you watching for that? I think you might be off here. Like, are you sure that's healthy of you to do that? Like, is that actually above reproach? Like, are you actually like pursuing things that are honorable to God or are you just doing what you want? Or the way you're acting, is that right? Like, going out to the bar that often, is that right? Like, is that what you should really be doing? Those that know me know I don't handle criticism well at all. So they know it needs to be done with some tact, right? They know it needs to be done with some tact or in a way that's truly loving to me. And if they don't know how to do that for me, they might not be the person who should share that with me or share that truth something, uh, or something like that. But someone can speak truth. That's not nice to hear, and it could be love. It could be love. Again, that person, it should be someone that's in close relationship with you. But one of the most loving things they can do is tell you where maybe you are missing. Maybe where you are off. I mean, wouldn't it just be straight up evil if you thought what someone was doing was going to destroy their life, and you didn't at least warn them, or didn't at least tell them? That'd be evil. I get it. It's such a tight rope to walk because sharing truth can also be unloving. If you're excited about dropping truth bombs on people and know it's going to hurt them and destroy them inside, that is a not a loving approach at all. To be excited about that is not loving. And in that case, you probably shouldn't be the one delivering that news. But on the other side of that rope, it can be the most loving thing you do for that person. As you think about you, do you have someone in your life that can do that for you? That can call you out? Truth-telling is hard. It's awkward. It's a sacrifice. It's time-consuming. But it is loving. When do you need or who do you need to have in your life to speak that to you? A close friend? Someone in your life group? A pastor? A family member? Just someone that you know and you're acquaintances with? Jesus came to earth and showed us truth. He showed us and taught us what is right and what is wrong, and that was love. So love is, love is presence, love is truth, and then lastly, love is grace. Love is grace. Grace is defined as, in the, it says this, the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Or in other words, grace is undeserved love. 
through Jesus' presence that started on Christmas and then his right living here on earth, he brought on an amazing ministry and, and a great following from people. He healed people. He helped people. He did all kinds of greatness. But eventually people chose to reject him, to deny him. And, his deni- and this denial of, and rejection led to killing him, even though he did nothing wrong. Yet since he is love in the perfect form and also God, death doesn't defeat him. His action of God coming to earth and living among us actually defeats death for all of us. His death takes on the consequences we should have all gotten. And because Jesus determined that death isn't greater than love, Jesus returns resurrected from death and says we too can defeat death when we're connected to him. It's love from God for you and me. And if you've never embraced that before, No, you just got to say, God, I want this. I want that. I want that connection. Tell him that you want that. Know that you need his forgiveness and that you want his guidance for life. And when you've done that, you too can defeat death. You can also experience his presence through that Trinitarian dance. But his action to do all of this, it shows that love is grace. It's unmerited favor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich. Love is giving favor when it's undeserved. And that is what we see started on Christmas. This child comes to risk rejection, live in the slums with us, to show us how to truly live. And then when we try to get rid of him, He doubles down and he dies for us to defeat death and returns to give us grace. God is love. And love is presence, it's truth, and it's grace. This Christmas, don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't see God's love as one amongst the other things that are maybe in that junk drawer of the word love. See the love that became visible in a baby that was both sent and chose to come on Christmas. This week, As we lead up to Christmas, don't get distracted by the fun. Don't get distracted by the craziness or the busyness. Embrace God's love personally and then love him back with presence, with truth, and with giving grace to others for him. I'm going to pray that we actually do that this week. If you want that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for just giving us a clear example of how you are love and how we are to love others. God, we just pray that we can be love. We can be a part of that Trinitarian dance with you and and just know how to love others well. God, I just pray that that's something that we can see clearly of how we can do that this week. And then, God, as we go into Christmas, and especially these next couple days, I just pray that we continue to look to you and reflect on what the true meaning is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.